like I've been renting in Wagga for like 10 years now and I've never had any issues but yeah now that the rental crisis has just it's gone crazy right now we're staying with some friends um we're in the back room of their place um so all four of us are in there so me my partner and our two kids it's a four bedroom two bathroom home um really great backyard it's got a pool which is awesome so we purchased this property for 1.75 million and we have a 1.4 million dollar loan yeah um yeah it's a big chunk change <laughs> like pretty much anyone else who is 30 uh we went to the bank of mum and dad it's hard i've been saving 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 um i'm desperate to get into the market just want something for me and my son to call our own it's only me i've got to provide for my child it's uh every day is a struggle trying to save make sure there's food on the table pay the rent all of that stuff i just i really just want a secure place for my kids yeah a 1.4 million dollar loan well, those experiences are never far from financial commentator and baby boomer Alan Kohler's mind. He's devoting much energy to this question, do realistic solutions exist to make homes more affordable for more of us? Now, he uses a simple equation to focus the mind. In 1951, his parents paid 3.5 times their household income for their first home and land package in Melbourne. In 1980... Alan and his wife paid roughly the same ratio for their first house, three and a half times his income. Forty years later, his three children and their partners paid about 7.5 times each of their income for their houses. And they're lucky they bought. What changed in that time to make the Australian dream so much more costly? And why does it matter so much for our nation? Well, Alan has written the new quarterly essay. It's called The Great Divide... And I'm happy to welcome him to Saturday Extra. Hello there. Good morning, Geraldine. Why does it matter so much, Alan, that we have this debate? Oh, because that, that change that you just talked about in terms of the relationship of house prices to income has changed, I think, everything about the way Australia works, about the economy, about society. It's changed the way wealth um, is distributed and has entrenched inequality in the country. Um I mean, housing is the most uh, important essential um, service or good that we have. Um, we talk about essentials, uh, telecommunications, fuel and so on, but housing, we have to have a house. We have to live somewhere. Um, and if it now costs, as it does, twice um, what it used to in relation to our income, then um, that is a serious problem, in my view. Yes, I mean, just as a further, <laughs> the, the stats are incredible. You can find them everywhere. The CEO of the Salvation Army Housing in Australia uh, revealed earlier this year that his waiting list for housing includes a staggering 175,000 families. So these are people who are not aiming to buy. <laughs> They're just aiming to be in there. So that's another question of provision. Um I mean, you've come to a pretty blunt conclusion. To return the price of housing to something less destructive, the terms you use, you have to change some fundamental notions that grew up in the last 40 years, that housing is a way to create wealth rather than simply a place to live. Now, do you think we've got a hope of changing that very deep now, deep-seated sense? 
Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. I, I, look, um, I, I do think, I mean, I come to the conclusion, um, you know, I spent six months working on this and thinking about it, and, and I, I have come to the conclusion that, that you need, in order to return house prices to the same relationship to income as they were, um, we need to ensure, try to ensure at least, that they don't um, change, don't rise for about 20 years. Oh. And and the the result of that would be that incomes would catch up, the ratio of house prices to incomes would return to what it was um, you know, in, in 2000. It all changed in 2000. We'll get to that in a moment, mm, I guess. But we will. But, but it all changed in 2000. So we need to get it back to what, what it was in 1999 or 1998. Um, for that to happen, which would mean incomes have to catch up, um, incomes rising at the current rate of three to four times, uh, sorry, three to four percent per annum, would mean that um, house prices have to not change for 20 years. Wow. Um, and, but, but that would have the other benefit, it would seem to me, of of getting us out of the habit of thinking that housing creates wealth. Because that's, I mean, that's that's the thing that's happened. But it has created I mean, wealth. That's the trouble. Well, that's right. And we need to, and that's why it takes so long, 20 years or so, mm. for, us to, for us to stop thinking that it does. I mean, that's, we, we, that's what I think we need to do. We need to find a way to get back to simply seeing housing as a place to live as opposed, as opposed to a a thing to speculate with as investors. Now, I'm going to come back to that year 2000 because it's critical, but housing affordability is increasingly portrayed as a sort of war between generations, you know, avocado toast munching and millennials versus crews enjoying boomers like you and me. <coughs> uh, is that the great divide you're looking at, the title of your essay? Um, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, look, the, the thing is that older people have always been richer than younger people, obviously, because they've been working for longer and saving for longer and you know, um, got, I've got more superannuation, leaving the house aside. But the, the problem, the reason that um, baby boomers and millennials, the difference between those two groups has widened is simply because of the way that house prices have gone up in the past 25 years, um, which is the period uh, when millennials became adults. Um, millennials were born in the early 80s and became adults kind of in the, in the early 2000s and started looking for a house. And at that point, they found that house prices were rising um, faster than they used to. And the beneficiaries of that increase in house prices are those who already own a house, obviously, and that's baby boomers like me. Mm. So what really happened in that year or around that year 2000 that turbocharged the property market and fundamentally altered everything about the way we lived. What have you, what conclusion have you drawn? Well, the thing that happened in 1999, and there was only one thing that matters to this, was the, the halving of the capital gains tax. It, in September 1999, Peter Costello, the Treasurer, announced that um, we, we would henceforth only have to pay capital gains tax on half of any capital gain. Capital gains tax was introduced in 1985 by the Hawke government um, and the idea was, what was introduced in 85 was that capital gains would be taxed at the uh, income tax rate, that is to say any capital gain would be added to your income minus any effective inflation. So you would get to deduct the consumer price index from the 
capital gain before adding it to your income over whatever period it was. So if you own the thing for, for 10 years or five years, you just added up the CPI over that period and you deducted that from your capital gain and you added that to your income. In 1999, that was changed. Um, so instead of um, adjusting for inflation, they decided that we, it would be much simpler if we just simply uh, only added half of the capital gain to our income for the, for the calculation of the tax. Um, and that resulted from, <clears throat> from a report that was done by three business people, uh, John Ralph, um, who was the chairman of the Commonwealth Bank, Rick Allett, who was chairman of United Breweries, and Bob Joss, who was um, the managing director of Westpac Bank. And they had been asked by Peter Costello to report on the business taxation system. And their purpose was to, to provide cover for the government to reduce the company tax rate from 36% to 30%, which is what the government wanted to do. But they wanted to have some kind of expert report to, um, you know, mm. <laughs> confirm that that was a good idea. So naturally, those three business people uh, supported the reduction in the company tax rate because they'd been asking for it from 36 to 30%. Um, but um, unbidden, they also slipped in this recommendation about capital gains tax. And the reason they did that was because they wanted to create a nation of share investors among Australians. They, they, they thought that if, if they could cut the capital gains tax, it would uh, result in us all buying more shares and that would reduce their cost of capital and, you know, it would be good for their companies. And Peter Costello enthusiastically embraced that and introduced it on uh, in September 1999. And now, I, I'm not saying that that's the only reason house prices started rising at twice the rate that they used to, but it's the thing that happened at that point is all I'm saying. And we all jumped on it. Well, so uh, we're not a nation of share investors and we were never going to become one. Um, we, we are... We, uh, we invest in housing, you know. I mean, um, and, and I, as I kind of show in the essay, when we really started investing in houses was in the late 1880s. Yes, go right back. Um, well, because, you know, the, um, there was this colossal housing boom in the 1880s and that was because um, of the gold rush uh, led to, the gold rush led to a, um, a baby boom in around about 1860 because there was a huge increase in population, obviously, as a result of the gold rush, and then uh, then there was a baby boom, and all of the you know the children born in that baby boom um, turned into adults in around about 1885 and started looking for a house. Mm. So in the late 80s, there was a colossal uh, boom in um, you know in housing, um, which collapsed in 1892 and caused a depression. But and, and you, if you read the um, newspapers at the time, it was, it was just really everyone was talking about how much wealth you can make from housing. <laughs> so, yes, there's a, I understand what you're saying. There's a sort of attitude to land uh, that that is very deep. Um, but in your essay, you do say, oddly enough, that despite the diagnosis you've just given, that there are almost two different tribes in terms of looking for reasons for this what's gone wrong in the last generation. One is the the tax reason you've cited, the sort of uh, decisions of government. The other is uh, supply. Uh, 
is that there's not enough land being supplied by another set of governments, often local government, and that comes to do with zoning and so on and so forth. So I just wonder where, where you, well, primarily you've, you, you've decided it's more the tax story, have you? Um, I, I think that the capital gains tax discount in 1999 was really important. Um, but I do think that in order to achieve what I think needs to be achieved, which is that house prices don't change for a while, don't go up for a while at all, um, you have to do everything. You can't just focus on one side or the other. And and it is the case that the the tax benefit that it was brought in in uh, 1999, that the halving of the capital gains tax, uh, firstly, it added to, or it, it really f- was fueled by the negative gearing, which had always existed. But it was it was the combination of negative gearing and the capital gains tax discount in t- you know after two thousand that really supercharged house prices, um, and also the abolition of inheritance taxes in nineteen seventy eight. So the combination of those two things, you know, that, that you can get a t- tax deduction while you own the, the property, um, and then. When you sell it, you only pay half the capital gains tax, and if you pass it on to the kids, there's no tax at all. So, so that was really a, a tremendous um, benefit and fuel to house prices. But it all, but it did feed into the an existing situation where there was a restriction on supply, and supply would have been restricted because of the virtual abolition of public housing in Australia, um, uh, plus the failure of Australia to follow. Um, the UK's lead on zoning. Um, now, this is a complicated story, and I, I won't sort of take up too much time here. But um, when it's zoning med- was about medium density, isn't it? Well, yes, that's right. Um, but but it's kind of to do with the way that zoning is done and and planning is conducted. Because when, when we introduced uh, zones in Australia in in the early part of the 20th century, we were just following what the UK did. They, they, the UK introduced zoning um, uh, before the First World War, and then we did the same, and um, we just basically copied their laws. And in 1942, they basically nationalised zoning. They, they uh, uh, took it over. They changed the laws. They took it over. The national government took over most of the zoning, and we didn't follow ah. suit. Mm-hmm. And we left zoning in the hands of the states and the local states, and then the planning in the hands of the local councils. And so, uh, if if zoning and planning was more a national uh, issue and conducted out of Canberra, then it could be then national priorities could apply, obviously. But instead, what what occurs in Australia is that local priorities apply, which is largely nimbyism. Okay, now no. because we've, I, I want to get to solutions where everybody slits their throat and thinks that you know none of this is fixable. Is it fixable? W- what do you propose? Uh, well, uh, when you say you talked about the two tribes, right? So that's true, and but that's really only in the last um, seven or so years since since Labor Party proposed uh, 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 confining negative gearing to new housing only and to uh, cut the. Uh, capital gains tax discount from 50 to 25%. That was the Labor Party's policy in 2016 and naturally the coalition opposed it and in opposing it, the coalition said, uh, no, 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 it's not about demand issues, it's about increasing supply. That was their alternative mm-hmm. policy at the time and that's when the two tribes were established and ever since then, a whole bunch of people say it's all about tax and other people say it's all about supply and 
um, you know, everyone either argues and they're either in one camp or the other. My, my view is you've got to do both. You have to change the tax. You probably, I think you've got to start with um, re, uh, reducing the capital gains tax discount from 50 to 25%. Well, I think Jim Charms has already conf- raised that a little bit, hasn't he? Well, he's, he's talked um, about reverting to the pre nineteen ninety nine situation, um, uh, uh, and I mean, uh, but they, certainly since the Bill Shorten experience, they've been very well, that's weary, the, uh, leery could, of it. Yeah, you could go back to pre nineteen ninety nine, which is you just adjust for for inflation. That's fine. I, I think that that's that whatever. Mm-hmm. Do that, or and 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 confine negative gearing to new houses only. I think you've got to start with that. Uh, but there also needs to be a lot of focus on supply, um, and and I th- and everyone's talking now about medium density housing um, within the you know I don't know fifty kilometres of the city uh, and building more houses. I think that you know that's fine, but it's not going to happen really. It just isn't the there isn't enough opportunity for housing. You know, there just is, you, you won't get enough housing that way. I think we need to we need to make the viable commuting distance further out. We need to be able to commute to the city from Bathurst. And that's about transport. And that's about trains. Mm. Trains, exactly. Trains, trains, trains. Look, I've got a minute to go. Can you do all that you're talking about and still get elected? No, you can't. (laughs) No, no, because, well, if if, uh, one of the things I say is that the problem with all the policies about housing is none of them's got a name. Nobody says, everyone talks about housing, but nobody says this is what we're trying to achieve with these policies. Um, and because that's because um, the, the only thing that, that's worth achieving is to get the house price to income ratio back to where it was. And, it, you know, everyone would be horrified at that. Crikey, what? You mean you mean you don't want my house to go up in value for 20 years? I'm not going to vote for you. <laughs> what about the other one you just haven't mentioned is immigration. Are we having are too many people coming in? making the competition all that too, too great. Well, we need immigration, right? And we need a lot more people at the moment because we have staff shortages, but we have more immigration than the capacity of the of the construction industry to build houses. I mean, that's the, you know, the, the, there's a limited number of houses that the construction industry can build. Um, and we've, you know, we're, we're bringing in about twice as many people uh, than that. So I'm just saying that you, you need to, you need to have immigration at the same level as housing construction capacity. Links I mean, to the capacity co- of, the, of, the, of the construction industry. Yes. I mean, the, the average number of people per house is 2.48, right? So let's see if we can make sure that only 2.48 times housing approvals come in. I mean, is that stupid or I mean, what am, I, I mean, am I stupid? What's going on? We can't, why can't we just think of that? Do we need a graph for this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alan. Look, I applaud your the effort that you've put in. I do hope that the uh, debate changes as a result. Let's wait and see. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you, Geraldine. Alan Kohler's essay will come out on Monday called The Great Divide. It's a new quarterly essay. And thank you for, for all the texts that are coming in about this. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.